I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts in the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning, adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales, these ghost stories, aren't for kids. It seems like just yesterday I was pushing Joey on the swings while Becca told me about the nightmare in her home. I thought we might make it to 10, but here we are at ghost story number 25. There have been so many neighbors I can barely keep track anymore, but let's recap, shall we? Wellesley is haunted. We have black-eyed kids, lizard creatures, and gremlins. There are psychics and mediums and psychic mediums here ghost hunters and people who are possessed by demons. Witches and shadow figures and actual demons and an occasional alien. We have ghosts too, all sorts. Those who are just hanging out and those who have an agenda. Maddie Payne generously donated to support the podcast and has offered up his name to conceal this week's haunted neighbor's identity. Thank you so very much, Maddie. The spook in this week's story definitely has an agenda, and it's not a positive one. Here's ghost story number 25, Attached. I seldom check the Ghosts in the Burbs Facebook account because, honestly, I just don't like Facebook anymore. The election ruined it for me, so I avoid it and constantly toy with the idea of deleting my account. I dislike it for all the usual reasons, it's addicting and a time suck, blah blah blah, but I also find it sort of guilt-inducing. Messenger reminds me of when we all used to actually call each other and leave voicemails. My mailbox was forever full and it always felt like a ticking time bomb of things I was supposed to do and forgot about. Messenger makes me feel the same way, disorganized, lazy, irresponsible. However. I checked the Ghosts in the Burbs account last week and found that I'd received a message, sent about three weeks prior, from a woman named Erica. Hi neighbor, my husband and I live in Wellesley and I really think that we need help with our house. I don't know how people usually arrange to meet with you, but if you could message me back as soon as you get this, I would appreciate it. Sort of urgent. Thanks, Erica. I responded after a day's hesitation. Being contacted by a stranger on Facebook is creepy. You'd think the same would be true for Twitter, but it's not for some reason. Erica's reply was exclamation point laden and desperate. She explained that her house was all out haunted and that the haunting was changing her husband's personality. She asked me to come to her house ASAP. After a few messages back and forth, in which I tried to feel out whether or not she was a serial killer, I agreed to the visit. After setting the date and time, Erica asked if there was any way I could bring Biddy along with me. I told her I'd try. Who are they? They live over near the dump, I replied. Great, but who are they? Biddy pressed. Slow down, I insisted, unable to keep up with Biddy's pace. Their names are Erica and Maddie Payne, and they just bought a haunted house. She thinks the ghost is changing her husband's personality. Erica asked if I could bring you to the interview. I'm sure she wants your expert opinion. I guess I could come along. No, I shouldn't. I don't know. Biddy stopped abruptly and looked at me. I swatted gnats away from my face and took a second to catch my breath. You're doing pre-exorcism interviews for the Catholic Church, I said, trying not to sound whiny or accusatory. 
I know, but once I pass that information off, I'm done with it. It's the church's problem after that. It's just an interview. Maybe you can give them some advice. You totally helped those poor lizard monster people. Biddy looked down at the muddy trail, considering. You shouldn't be going to a stranger's house alone. You sound like Chris. Without a word, Biddy resumed her power walk, and I scurried to catch up. I'll go, she called over her shoulder, but only as moral support. I smiled to myself. Deal. Our little town is home to three colleges, Mass Bay Community College, Wellesley College, and Babson. The schools maintain beautiful campuses and provide us with a little culture, some youthful energy, and a glut of babysitters. Erica and Maddie Payne's home lived on a long, winding, dead-end street behind the Babson campus. It wasn't my first time driving on the wooded lane. I've delivered the lawn signs for the autumn food pantry drive a handful of times, and one of the Payne's neighbors was a faithful supporter. I don't know how you get around in this boat, Biddy commented as we turned onto the road. You get used to it, I replied. Your side mirror disagrees. Shush, that was the tree's fault. There, that's the house, I said. We pulled into a long weathered driveway, cracked and bumpy from old tree roots. Number 44 Skyline Drive was an aged Victorian, its roof spotted with green mold, the front porch in need of a good scraping. We stepped out of the car as a young man walked out of a detached garage set back from the house. He lifted a hand to wave and called hello. Now who is this hot tamale? Biddy said in a low voice. Liz, Biddy, the man called, picking up his pace. I'm Maddie, Maddie Payne. Thanks for coming. He's been kind of freaking out, and it sounds like you guys know what's up. Come on in. He turned and followed a cracked walkway, then bound up the steps to the front porch. Biddy grabbed the sleeve of my shirt and tugged. I looked over, and she raised her eyebrows and mouthed, hubba hubba. Cut it out, I whispered, trying not to laugh. I had to agree, though. Maddie was quite the sight. In his late twenties, he had that tousled, naturally highlighted hair that young people in California always seem to have. He wore a casual three-day beard and a worn cotton t-shirt that, well, sat really nicely on his frame. E, Maddie boomed as we stepped onto the porch. They're here. The foyer was stereotypical for a Victorian, with all the floral wallpaper and dark wood one might expect. I closed the door behind me and heard a loud, high-pitched, Yay! Erica bound down the grand stairway, beaming, a long blonde ponytail bouncing along behind her. You're really here, she said excitedly, embracing Biddy and I in a group hug. Thank you so much for coming. Really, this has been like, well, it's just a hot mess. Come in. Maddie, where should we go? The sunroom, babe, Maddie declared. Oh, yeah, totally. Okay, you guys go sit. You're always drinking something hot during your interviews, she said to me, her smile bright. I made a pot of tea, and I even went and got those scones from Cabrata. Good, right? Thank you. I said, returning her smile. Erica couldn't have been more than 25 or 26. Maddie, maybe a couple years older. They were gorgeous and young and completely out of place in the rundown house. I couldn't wait to hear how they'd ended up there. Maddie led us to a large, screened-in sun porch. The structure was surrounded by a tight, overgrown lawn, beyond which brooded dense, mature forest. 
From this viewpoint, I noted that the detached garage was much larger than it appeared to be from the front of the house. The long building could fit two cars easily and extended twice that length right to the edge of the woods. The porch housed two old white wicker love seats who faced one another with a glass top wicker coffee table in between. Biddy and I sat next to one another as Maddie plopped down across from us. The faded floral fabric of the seat's pillow was soft and comfortable, and several fans moved the Febreze and mildew-tinted air pleasantly. It should have been cozy, but the encroaching forest blocked out the sunny day, leaving us in gloom. How long have you lived here, Maddie? I asked, placing my voice recorder on the table between us. Eight and a half weeks, he replied, without missing a beat. That's specific, Betty commented. This place is intense, he replied darkly. Tea, Erica announced loudly as she entered the room. She placed a tray onto the coffee table, then bounced onto the love seat next to Maddie, folding her long legs beneath her. It feels dark in here. Is it too dark in here? She demanded nervously. Biddy and I assured her that the light was fine, then helped ourselves to cups of tea. I snagged a small, heavenly current scone, too. Maddie and Erica watched us intently. I noticed for the first time that the glowing couple wore faint, dark circles beneath their eyes. I saw, too, that Erica's ponytail, though bouncy and long, was a bit stringy, maybe even greasy. Biddy sat back and sipped her tea. I held my teacup in both hands and balanced the scone on the napkin on my knee. Already my back was protesting the cramped seat, but I was determined to ignore it. So, I said, what's going on in your house? The couple exchanged a look, and Erica placed a hand on one of Maddie's incredibly toned arms. There's a ghost in our house, she whispered dramatically. When she didn't elaborate, I asked, What's the ghost up to? Erica took a quick glance over at Maddie, who was startlingly expressionless, then said, I think that the ghost is, like, attached to Maddie. He's not himself. He doesn't drink, but ever since we moved in, he drinks, you know? And then there are the noises at night, and babe, you're always in that garage, and sometimes when I'm talking to you, you aren't you. I think the ghost wants to take him over. I think it can, like, step into him sometimes. Her words came out in a rush, like a breath that had been held for too long. Biddy placed her teacup onto the table. She was staring at Maddie. I said, well, that sounds pretty scary. Maddie, do you agree? Do you think there's a ghost influencing you? Maddie used both hands to push perfectly disheveled hair back from his forehead. It was a dramatic gesture, almost forced. He said, Something's happening here, for sure. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I don't feel like I'm alone, man, but I don't know. Tell us about moving into the house, Betty suggested. Oh, that was so exciting. So I'm a yoga instructor, and Maddie is a creator. He sold an amazing app that helps people. Well, no, you explain it, babe, Erica said, squeezing his leg. The app assists users in tracking productivity in all areas of life. Financial, emotional, recreational, spiritual. It allows the client to set goals and then creates an individualized program to support them in reaching those goals in a specified time frame. Emotional? I said, curious. Yes. For instance, a user may track progress in therapy appointments. 
A goal may be identified to resolve an emotional issue within a set period of time, and the app tracks progress towards the desired outcome. Say, for example, you have a childhood trauma that you need to resolve. The app helps you to stay on task and focus so that you can set a time frame in which to heal. The same can be done with family building, relationship creation, financial goals, etc. Wow, that sounds really futuristic, I said, avoiding looking over at Biddy. We just hit number 45 on the iTunes App Store charts, he said. Impressive. And where do you teach yoga, Erica? I guide in person on the lawn at Babson. We both went to Babson. Did I tell you that? So that's where we met. After graduation, we moved into the city, but the campus sort of called us back, didn't it, babe? I've been vlogging my yoga practice for years, and then an opportunity arose at the college. I guide practitioners every weekday morning on the South Campus lawn. As she said this, Erica pointed towards the forest. What's through the woods? I asked. Babson, Biddy and Erica said in unison. Jinx, Erica said, laughing. Seriously, though, that's really why we bought the house, to be close to the college. Maddie and I carved a path through the woods that leads directly to the spot where I teach. It's amazing. I mean, it was amazing. I don't like walking back there alone anymore. Why not? I asked. Erica glanced at Maddie, who was staring at his lap. I sort of feel like someone's watching me or, like, following me or something. One time I... I've followed her before, Maddie said, almost defiantly. Betty and I were silent. You were just making sure I was safe, Erica said soothingly. No, Maddie said, leaning forward to rest his elbows on his lap. We all stared at him, and I suddenly felt a little bit afraid. I chattered, you must have wanted to see if you could catch someone creeping around back there. No, Maddie repeated. It was me. You had one of your episodes. You just wandered out there and didn't... Stop, he said in a firm, low voice, causing us all to jump as though he'd yelled. Last week, Tuesday morning, when you were on your way back from your session, yeah, I watched you. I was there. I didn't mean to be. I mean, I didn't intend to be there off the trail, but I was. When I came to myself, I was crouched behind a tree watching you walk along the path. Oh, Maddie, Erica said quietly. How often does this happen? Betty asked. You coming to yourself and being somewhere you didn't intend to be, I mean. Maddie didn't respond. That often, huh? Betty said calmly. No one spoke. The only noise was the whirring of the fans and the drone of a lawnmower somewhere in the neighborhood. You guys think something in this house is influencing you? I asked. No, the ghost is making him do those things, Erica insisted. Before we all jump to conclusions, why don't you guys tell us why you chose this house? I mean, I know it's close to the college, but how in the hell did you end up here? I asked. Maddie was wound tighter than me watching my kids at the public pool on a Saturday morning. I needed to slow things down if we were going to get the full story out of them. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Biddy nodding her head. There wasn't much on the market last winter, and the commute from the city was killing my vibe every morning, right? So this house came up as a rental, and it was so much bigger than any of the other houses we looked at. And it had so much charm, and we just fell in love with the idea of it. So we asked the owners to sell it to us. They agreed to sell to us, but we had to push our move date back to June so they could clean the place out. We were so excited. I know it's a total fixer-upper, but we figured we would live here forever. There's plenty of room for our family. 
Erica stopped herself and glanced nervously at Maddie. After what happened with Cicely, I'll never allow another kid in this place, he said firmly. Who's Cicely? I asked. My niece, Erica replied quietly. We had this housewarming party right after we moved in. Our parents came, and so did my sister and my brother-in-law. My niece, she's seven, she was so excited. She called this place the dollhouse. I decorated the backyard with all these balloons, and we cooked out and had cake and everything. The house was fine before the party. I never would have invited them all over if I thought something was wrong. What happened? Biddy prompted. So, we were all hanging in the backyard. Maddie, my brother, and the dads were tossing around a football, and I was sitting with the moms and my sister. None of us realized that Cicely was gone for a little bit, but then I think my mom noticed. We just figured she was exploring the house, so my sister and I went inside to find her. We called her name a few times, but when she didn't answer us, I got a little worried. I mean, the house was empty and all, but we didn't know it top to bottom, right? So my sister went back outside to see if maybe Cicely was out in the yard somewhere, and then, I don't know, it seemed like we all felt the panic come up at the same time, and we split up. The guy searched outside. I went down to the basement, and my mom and sister checked upstairs. They found her on the third floor, Maddie said. We should have heard her screaming, but we didn't. A big old wooden bookcase fell on her leg, Erica explained. She couldn't move. It, like, trapped her there. My sister carried her downstairs, and the poor thing was hysterical. We were positive she had broken her leg, but the doctor in the ER, she said it would only end up being a nasty bruise. Tell them what your sister told you, Maddie said, looking over at Erica. She gave a small shake of her head and closed her eyes for a moment. Cicely told my sister that a little girl brought her upstairs and told her to sit on the floor so they could play a game. She said the girl disappeared into the wall, and before Cicely could get up to look for her, the bookcase fell over. Uh-uh, I said, getting up from the love seat. Where are you going? Erica asked in a panicked voice. Nowhere, sorry. My back just isn't great today. I just need to stand up for a minute. You okay? Betty asked me. Yeah, totally. I'm just being elderly. But what in the hell? A little girl disappeared into the wall, then shoved a bookcase over on top of her. That sounds to... Let's just hear the rest of the story, Betty interrupted, shaking her head at me. We felt so... I mean, I felt so guilty. Like we had no business having anyone over to the house, let alone my niece, until we were settled in here. Erica chattered on a while longer until Maddie finally cut her off. We were really lucky. Cicely was fine, but I know that having her in this house triggered its need. Maddie looked back and forth between Biddy and I, as though we knew what he was talking about. How so? I asked, nervously. The place was fucking lit after Cicely got hurt. The knocking began, the shadows started coming around, we couldn't sleep because of the dreams. You started spending more time in that garage, Erica added softly. Maddie nodded his head. Tell us about the knocking, Biddy said. It's weird. I'm surprised we haven't heard it yet. It usually gets more excited when people are here, but we totally blamed it on old pipes at first, and then we had an exterminator come out to check if the place had mice or something. We do totally have mice, but the exterminator heard the knocking while he was here and said it wasn't coming from any animal. 
the weirdest thing is that it comes from different parts of the house. Like I'll be in the kitchen making dinner and I'll hear a knock-knock over my head. And once I stand still for a moment, there will be another knock-knock sound. Like it's coming from under the sink or the other room, Erica explained. She held a seance, Maddie tattled. Uh-oh, I said, glancing over at Biddy. There it is, Biddy said, stone-faced. It was just for fun, nothing serious, Erica said quickly. I had some of the girls I do yoga with come over for margaritas, and we sat at the kitchen table and asked for the ghost to answer us with the knocks. We totally made sure to set a positive intention first, and I commanded the spirits to interact in a positive way. You commanded them? Biddy was leaning forward now. I was pacing a little bit. Erica had her arms crossed over her chest, and Maddie sat with an arm hanging on the back of the love seat behind his wife, his legs spread wide. Yeah, Erica explained. I think I said something like, I command you to come forward in communication. It was wild. It took a few tries, but we got answers. How? I asked. The knocking. It answered us with knocking, once for yes and twice for no. What did the knocking tell you? The spirit was male and had lived and died in this house. Oh, and he communicated that he was pleased that we chose to live here. That's it? I asked, skeptically. Well, sort of. I mean, that's all that it communicated to us, but I took the opportunity to welcome it to share the space with us. At this admission, Maddie gave a sort of snort. I'm guessing things got a little crazy after that, Biddy commented. That's when the shadows came, and Maddie started drinking, and we stopped going in the basement, and I found all those damn balloons in the room on the third floor, even though there was no way they could have gone up there on their own, and something pushed me when I was walking down the stairs. Erica began crying. It's totally my fault. I am so sorry. I brought it all out, and I don't know how to put it back, and now Maddie is just, babe, you're not yourself, and the house is a nightmare. I can't sleep because the dreams are so sad and violent, and you guys have to make it stop, or I just don't know what's going to happen. Maddie put a hand on Erica's back to stop the flow of panicked words. I looked at Biddy, hoping she would offer some advice, but instead of addressing the paranormal events in the house, she asked, What's up with the drinking, Maddie? I don't know, he said, taking a deep breath. I'm no straight edge, but I've never felt the need to have more than a beer or two, and that was only if I was out with the guys or at a game. I got drunk once in high school and hated the way it made me feel all clumsy and out of control. So what's changed? I asked. He's drinking gin, Erica said. I saw Betty raise an eyebrow. I start drinking around one or two in the afternoon, Maddie began. What? Erica squeaked. I didn't know that, babe. And I don't stop until I pass out at night, Maddie continued. I pretty much can't remember what happens from, like, dinner time onward. What else is different? Betty asked quickly, stopping Erica from descending into another nervous tirade. I don't just forget stuff when I'm drunk. Like, the other morning, I wasn't drunk when I followed E to her yoga class. I was hungover, but sober, and I don't remember leaving the house. But when I, like came back to myself, I was watching E. I was watching her walk away from me on the path, and I was literally crouched behind a tree, hiding. Fuck, I thought, then went to sit back down next to Biddy so I could eat another scone. When you say 
came back. What do you mean? Are you not there? Biddy prompted. I don't know, man. I'm just like aware of what I'm doing and then I'm not. What is he like in the evenings? I asked Erica. The girl looked at her husband and grimaced. I'm really sorry, babe, but you've turned into a total dick. I mean, you're okay in the morning, but you just sit there in the living room all night and stare at the television, unless you're out in the garage. I mean, you're out there all the time. Babe, what are you even doing out there? I've heard the banging, and it sounds like you're slamming things against the walls. We all stared at Maddie. He rested his elbows on his knees and began cracking his knuckles. Erica pointed at his hands accusingly. And that, too. He never used to crack his knuckles. It's disgusting. I can't stand it. Biddy and I watched the couple. Maddie was inscrutable. Erica was sidling up to hysteria. How are you feeling right now? Biddy asked. Really fucking angry, Maddie answered in a low voice. Why? I asked without thinking. I don't know. I don't know, he insisted. I think I do, Biddy said. Demons, I breathed knowingly. Erica gasped, and Maddie looked like he was about to flip over the coffee table. Settle down, Biddy said to me, annoyed. It's not demons. Everything isn't always demons. Maddie, you've got a nasty spirit attachment. How do you know it's not a demon? I mean, that little girl in the attic, right? I reasoned. Well, yeah, that thing in the attic might be a demon, but that's a secondary problem. So there is a demon, I said. Betty gave me a look, then continued. Maybe, but if a demon was causing this personality change, then we wouldn't be here talking about it. If a demon had that great a hold on him, then Erica would be dead right now. Biddy, I exclaimed, horrified. Sorry to be so blunt, but you're lucky, Matt. The spirit was obviously a raging alcoholic in life. He didn't cross over, and he still needs what he was addicted to. So he's latched onto you, and he's not going to let go without a fight. Oh my God, how is this even possible? Erica asked. Look, we all need energy to survive. But he explained, we eat food and recharge by sleeping, right? And then we can get spiritual energy from God or the world or people around us. Since we're alive, we can access energy many ways, but ghosts can't do that. If a spirit doesn't cross over into the light or becomes deceived and falls into the darkness, then it remains on our plane and it has to get energy from somewhere in order to survive. One way for it to get that energy is to latch on to a living person. Who is it? Erica asked, her eyes wild. Can you see him right now? I bit my lip to keep from smiling. Biddy took a breath and said, I'm not a medium. I've just spent my entire life around haunted people trying to figure out what the hell is happening to them. I have absolutely no idea how or why stuff like this happens, but I've been around long enough to connect some dots. What do I need to do to get rid of this fucker? Maddie asked. I know a guy, Biddy assured him. You need a medium, and you need to sage the shit out of this place, and then he'll go. He'll have to. What about the demon girl in the attic? Erica pressed, looking terrified and small. Is she going to kill us? I'm sure she wants to, Biddy said plainly. But she won't, I added quickly. Biddy knows a priest who can come and help you. He helped my family with our haunting. 
Everything can be fixed here, but I don't like that whole lurking in the woods storyline, Maddie, Biddy cautioned. It's not going to end well. Until the priest comes, I don't think you guys should sleep in this house. I'll sage the place for you today while you pack, and that should weaken the ghost. We can stay at my sister's, Erica said. If there's a drunk, angry ghost latched onto me, then I'm not going anywhere near your family, Maddie snapped. Stay in a hotel then, Maddie. Erica can stay with her family. It's not a bad idea for you two to separate temporarily. Your relationship might actually be feeding the spirit, Biddy suggested. Everyone was silent, absorbing Biddy's diagnosis. So that's that then, I said after a moment. Maddie and Erica were looking at us with a mixture of fear, skepticism, and hope. I left my bag in the car. Let me go grab the sage. I'll do a quick walkthrough while you guys pack up, Betty said, standing. I have to pee, I declared, then smiled at the couple. Shall I use the powder room we passed in the hallway? They both nodded. Okay, be right back. Don't you dare leave me in that house alone with them, I hissed once we were out of earshot. That guy gives me the creeps. He should. That's the worst case of demonic possession I've ever seen. Ha! I knew it! I said loudly. Shh! Biddy said, shut up. I'm buying time doing this sage bullshit so we can get that girl out of this house. He's going to kill her. Oh shit, what are we going to do? We're going to pretend to sage the house while she packs up her things, and then we're going to make sure she leaves here without him. Twenty bucks says he doesn't leave this place. I really do have to pee. Will you wait outside the door for me and then I'll come to the car with you? Oh, for the love of Pete, Biddy said, rolling her eyes. Hurry up. When I was done peeing, I opened the bathroom door to talk to Biddy as I washed my hands. I said, that was super smart of you to come up with that drunk ghost guy story. I dried my hands and flipped the light switch, then stepped out into the hallway. There stood Biddy, staring at me, along with Erica and Maddie. Oh, shit. A couple things before I go. First, I'd like to thank Jen Hensley for her generous donation. Thank you, Jen, for supporting the podcast. Next, I need to talk about Christina Honor and her lake vacation. The cabin was moldy, the twin bed sheets were stained, and there were ants in the bathroom. Goes without saying that there was no air conditioning. By night three, she'd had enough. When her cousin, whose idea it had been to hold the summer family reunion at the godforsaken cabin, woke her up by coming into the bedroom late at night and flipping the light on before noisily crawling into the twin bed across from hers, Christina refused to turn and look at her. She just said, Turn the light back out and check your sheets before you climb in. I found little black bugs all over my pillow. When her cousin didn't reply, she turned over in a huff and said, The light, Karen. But her cousin wasn't there. No one was. Ms. Kimberly Barker didn't go on vacation this summer. She was too busy trying to tame the large vegetable garden she'd inherited from the home's previous owners. They'd cultivated the land just a month before she and her husband had moved in, and Kimberly felt it her duty to see the project through. 
She slaved away all June and July, dutifully weeding and watering and attempting to keep the bunnies away. When the healthy patch of tomatoes finally ripened in August, she made a big caprese salad to enjoy in triumph. The following day, her home's past owner stopped by and asked to pay her respects. The seedlings had been planted atop her dog's body in late spring, a St. Bernard who'd always gone wild for tomatoes. Thank you, Mr. Payne, Miss Hensley, Miss Honor, and Miss Barker for supporting Ghosts in the Burbs on Patreon. You too can support the podcast. Go to ghostsintheburbs.com for all the links. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.